welcome to Brews with Andrews, the Lancelot Andrews podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening as we discuss one of his works as well as what he has to say with the challenges facing our churches today in this world that seems to get darker and darker and more and more insane by the minute. So grab a drink, pull up a chair, and let's dive in. I'm Father Michael. And I'm Father Alan. And this is Brews with Andrews. What the heck are you doing? Oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry. I was just uh, getting ready for Christmas. So you're saying the crazy times have just put you under the blanket. You made me crazy. And you just want to go (laughs) back into warm and fuzzies. Yeah, so anyways. Cheers. Cheers. I take mine off. Here we go. What is yours? You do you gotta gotta do your plug. Well I have here Bell's Two Hearted L. It is an American IPA. And according to my neighbor down the street, this is the best beer on the planet. You've got to let me know. It's American made. I don't know, maybe putting a run in with Guinness here. It is a good beer as far as IPAs go. I, I will confess, <laughs> I had a six-pack, and, and my leg hurt last night, <laughs> so I cracked open the case early, There you go. and while my neighbor is not a professed Christian, so his discernment is not up to par with right. those redeemed of the Lord, um, his tastes are pretty good. And so this is Brews with Andrews, I believe we're on to episode three, and this is our Christmas in July special. <laughs> um, they, Actually, what we're, um, if you remember from the very first broadcast we did, we spoke about Andrews and how important the incarnation is. And so we thought we'd go ahead and tackle this and, and lay it out. And-, and tackling the sermon we did because it is a beast. It is not clearly outlined from first appearances if you start to read it. And this sermon by Andrews on St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, is a doozy. Prior to all of the Pentecostal movements, Antelon Andrews could have come across as a Pentecostal because he is speaking in tongues all throughout this sermon. He's there in English, he's moved by the Spirit, and he's speaking in Greek, and he's moved by the Spirit, and he's speaking in Latin, and he's moved by the Spirit, and he's back over in Hebrew. Oh, you're telling me that the boy was moved by the Spirit. He is moved by the Spirit. (laughs) Back back when tongues were decently and orderly, he was doing it well. All of that to say, though, if you print this thing off, despite some of the transcribing errors, you will be put off by the fact that at least one-fifth of this sermon is Latin. Uh, and so you will be sitting there, and you're not going to sit there with Google Translate. But the good thing is, at least the translation I've got, they translate what he is saying. We actually translated in his sermons most of the time. So Yeah. But it is an enlightening experience uh, when you go through it. And that's what we have with this sermon. So again, Lancelot Andrews is taking us through St. John. Chapter 1, verses 14. He'll reference some others, but he is going to dive into this one verse. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, 
the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The end. Period. Period. (laughs) That's all he's going to tackle. But but you're going to see that our faith (laughs) is based on that, and he goes through it. He will. And so we'll dive in. Can I give you a mouthful summary? Sure. Of this. It is this. In this sermon, Andrews expounds upon St. John's eyewitness testimony in 114 of how he, Peter, and James truly beheld the undeniable divine glory manifested by the Son, who is the living embodiment of the eternal word, that is the nature, wisdom, and life of Yahweh, when Jesus, altruistically full of grace and truth, lovingly condescended to be made flesh, that is, the vilest, weakest, and woundable part of humanity, in order to abide with estranged humanity, to invade a world taken hostage ever since humanity's fall, to serve as humanity's champion in order to liberate them from their oppression, and to acceptingly adopt and truthfully transform humanity out of their empty state. Would you say that summarizes it? I think it really does, and that's going to really guide the... I think our conversation today that uh, each one of those points that he made that's elaborated on in this sermon you know we can have all the different philosophies and everything if Christ had not became man then you know we could do whatever we want and uh, but he did become man and as we go into the sermon it's going to show uh, because of that, uh, mankind uh, owes him. <laughs> I think it's a pretty easy way to put it. Owing is good. There's three points that eventually you will discover if you don't give up within the sermon that Andrews makes. And it's that there's really three things we take away from this verse. We take away the mystery of Christ's incarnation, the benefit of Christ's incarnation, and our duty in response to Christ's incarnation. And you're getting into that duty, what we all owe him. Right. Um, and, uh, and this sort of uh, reminds me of uh, actually someone, uh, Bishop Myers, who came to talk to us before, but when he's talking uh, about the Word and trying to describe the Trinity with the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, uh, Andrew's really, the Word adds further an intelligible, an intelligible nature that there is in him not only the nature, the flesh of life, but the wisdom of the Father. He is, what are they calling the Word? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the Word, and and gratefully so. Um, Andrews didn't try to bring in the full theology of the Logos. No, no, uh, but, but he does. But he still... He, he makes several references throughout this, actually. Yeah, so, uh, all right, so the terms really is the first thing. If yeah. his first point is the mystery, how the Word became flesh, the first point really is nothing but a parsing of words. He goes through the Word. He goes through flesh. He goes what it means to be made... I mean, there's heresies attached to all three of those words. Um, And then if that's not enough, you move on to what glory is, what grace and truth is, and what it means to be full of those. And that's 
the first chunk of the sermon, which in this day and age, we don't have individuals with, I don't know, the discipline to sit through that kind of a word study in a sermon right? just to get to the point. It's quite amazing that he lives in a period where maybe it's just the midnight mass and so everybody's asleep and he can do whatever he wants in the pulpit. Um, but, I don't know, right in front of the king. I mean, that was in front of uh, it's before pretty, King James. Well, King had to stay awake. Everybody <laughs> else could sleep. But, but he seriously, had to see who to behead. <laughs> we, live, we live in a day of just, just the facts, man. Give me the bullet points. What can I do? Right. And we can't actually know what we're supposed to do in light of the gospel if we don't know exactly what the gospel is. And I'm kind of jealous that there was a time period where men and women had the intellectual strength and vitality to actually listen to co- these concepts before actually saying, here's what we get from it, and here's what you owe to it. Yeah, this, I mean, this year through bullet points, and this is what, what I just like, told you. But, but you know, when he starts, uh, uh, he starts, uh, are you ready to go into the flesh? Any of those, are, it's on the table. Discussion of what the word is, what the flesh is, okay. what made is, all on the table right but now. He starts with the flesh, and uh, uh, as Andrews does, he, he paints the picture, as he always does in his sermons. Uh, but he talks about the, the flesh, where he was born. It was in a cold and heat, hungry and thirsty, faint and weary. Is his end any better? Black and blue, bloody and swollen, rent and torn, thorns for nails sticking in his flesh, and such flesh he was made. So you you mentioned earlier about the uh, being made of flesh, and Andrew does a good job of explaining what flesh is really without the word, and the flesh is in deep trouble without the word. So he was made. I love the way he does this. And then unmade, he sort of can take on the flesh, and then he's going to lay it off. What was made and the, made the Word, thus was to be made flesh, to unite the Word and the flesh together. It was God, and in God, nothing but love. Love only did it. And uh, uh, so he's, he's starting to paint the picture of the... Uh, the everlasting uh, becoming uh, uh, to live with us, to be in our flesh, and that our flesh, and he will go into it even more a little bit later, our flesh was in great need of the word. And he even goes back to, uh, uh, like Eve at the beginning, uh, uh, longing for the forbidden fruit. And that's sort of where our flesh had, had, had revolved back to, to that fruit. It was when... Eve was thinking solely through the flesh Mm -hmm. that she rejected God's word to say, this is the way you ought to live. And Christ, by coming to take on this flesh, is now becoming the flesh that receives God's word and lives it. It's kind of that restoration. What was always meant to be. What it was meant to be. Now, here is, we're going to get it there. Right. There's there's a lot of it. I I think he does well. We probably think too optimistically about human potential in our age. I mean, this is not... We don't live in a time period where we can tell people you are bad because you are bad. You know, it's there is a sense in which 
Andrews is just saying, look, the flesh really is the vilest, <laughs> worst part of us. Yeah. And it's okay to say that. We don't need to blame the system. We don't need to blame the preacher. We don't need to blame our heritage. In and of ourselves, we, we have rejected the word. Yeah. And there's consequences because we have personally, individually rejected the word. And it is the word that is going to heal us. And it is the word that's going to heal us. And he goes, this is what's taking place in the incarnation. Like, you are, it's not saying that Christ became a man. It's not about a person. He's already right. a person. He, it's about him becoming flesh. It's, it's the eternal becoming mortal. I mean, this is taking on a a substance, well, he's one substance with the Father. Be careful with your words discussing this. You'll become a heretic in no time flat. <laughs> he takes on flesh, and he takes on a condition, our condition, in which we live, and he's going to live it faithfully. And, and when we get in with that, uh, uh, he habitated with us. Uh, and that starts to show us uh, the way out of this fleshness that w- that we live in and um, you know he doesn't didn't just appear and uh, but he came and he appeared with us he stayed with us as he became what we were seeing and we could see it so we can learn it seems uh, most people do not want to just learn by hearing uh, or uh, they, they've got to see it and so we saw it he was with us uh, uh, for 30 years, however many years, and uh, uh, so he lived among us so that we could observe uh, that word and how that word acted in different situations, what that word was teaching. So you, you put all that together uh, as he dwelt among us, he could be seen, and what we saw, and it goes in, we beheld his glory, he tells us. Yes, and well... That's, that's really... Before we get to the special type of glory, one of the things I think Andrews does well, and he does miss a few points. Like, you know, and there's places where it says we've never, we've never seen the Word. The Word. I saw that. So I went and looked it up. And so apparently, Yahweh and the Word. You guys will find in Genesis 15, 1 through 2. You'll find in 1 Samuel 3, yeah. 21. And in Jeremiah 1, 4, 6, and 9, we've seen the Word. Yeah. He missed that. But we'll let him off the hook because technically, I, I don't know, he translated Genesis and Samuel. Yeah. He should have known. <laughs> he didn't know Jer- maybe didn't know Jeremiah well, as fresh. I, you know, I'm not sure exactly, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they, you know, they, didn't, uh, they ate with God. Yeah, well, <laughs> you you have seen So there's there's something missing there, but none of us get it right. right. No, no one goes to C.S. Lewis because he was so great at the Psalms. Yeah. Um, he wasn't. But that's okay. Cause yeah. he, everything else was uh, right. I'm sure if uh, Andrew was sitting there having a beer with us, he could explain exactly what he sure meant. what he meant. But it's just like <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, so we don't want to put him on a pedestal where he is unquestioned and, and unchecked. Take it he's, word by word. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's painting pictures. Uh, actually. And even Jesus tells us, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's, that happens all through the Old Testament. Right. We, we've got some crazy theologies today uh, just because people don't know where to find Jesus in the Old Testament. Right. Now, he didn't go by that, that name in the Old Testament. 
I mean, he went by the word. He went by the angel of the Lord. He went by the presence of the Lord. It's not until he takes on flesh that he becomes Jesus because he's going to save us well, from our sins. He wasn't given a name until Gabriel came. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, it's there's one lady I like to read. She goes, do you know how the Bible connects? It connects off of one person. That's the Lord. And anytime you see the Lord... That is the full triune God. Just deal with it. it never try. <laughs> I've always tell people when you start trying to divide up the divinity, you're going to run into all kind of problems. <laughs> yeah, and you run into problems because all analogies break down. Right. Although I did like one of his analogies. This is before we go to glory. This is back to how this word was made flesh, being made. I like this analogy in that the inward motion of the mind, that is the word, taketh unto it a natural body of air, and so becometh vocal. It's not changed into it. The word remaineth still as it was, yet they too became one voice. And he's saying, he's saying there's a similarity here in that our soul is not turned into nor compounded with the body, yet they too, though distinct in natures, grow into one man, so the Godhead was the manhood taken, the natures preserved without confusion, the person entire without division. So essentially the mind of God that is the word, the logos, takes on flesh to become the visible form of what's intended by God. So that on a very simple level, you should be able to look at Jesus and go, oh, I mean, that's, that's what you wanted. Yeah, well, it's, and, it's the combining. And uh, uh, as human beings, as uh, Mike's sitting here, uh, I have my flesh, and I have my body, and then I have my spirit. And unless you combine the two and merge the two together, uh, you will have the flesh running around with, with no direction whatsoever, or you could have the word with no physical, visible way to express it. And uh, so I almost look at it as it's really who we are as people. And without the Word, uh, without that spirit, without that soul, whatever you want to call it, uh, then we're not a complete person. We're part of that person. We may just be flesh or we may be spirit, uh, but until you put the two together, your completeness uh, is not seen and observed. So, yeah, it's um, he quite literally puts flesh to it. Yeah, you know, embodies it. Right. So that we can say it. So that's him being made, taking on flesh, is God taking on a new expression of Himself, um, and to but so, to simultaneously be fully God and at the same fully. time fully man. You, that word so key to be um, full. And there's there's no loss on either side. And Andrews is taking that historic faith and just bringing it up to. By the way, this is 1611, um, bringing it up to the, that year, and bringing it to the people's lives to see it. I mean, and he'll tell you the reason why we're celebrating all this in his conclusion. There was something, and I think it's before, yeah, right before glory again, it's that him tabernacling with us when yeah. he takes flesh. Uh, he, I had never thought about it this way, because he's, 
you know that when it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men, the word there's tabernacle, the same way God had tabernacled with his people through the Old Testament. It's loaded, which is one of the reasons why it makes me cringe when I'm reading Eugene Peterson's The Message, and it says the word moved into the neighborhood as a translation. <laughs> and it's just like, no, it means so much more. Yeah. And... But still, Andrews takes it another another degree. He goes, "What are tents used for?" Um, it's this Time is to go to battle, guys. This is a military invasion. <laughs> I'm like, this is the coming of okay. The this is this is he goes. Troops live in tents, right? Like this is. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't when they said, "Where uh, you know, where do you live?" He didn't say, "Oh." Down at 25, 27 or whatever. He said, come and see. Yeah. And it was tense. It was mobile. He's going out into the world. And it's not just, and I love this concept because you see it in Isaiah. It's preserved in the 28th prayer book in our readings. I think they're in Holy Week from Isaiah that militarily Christ is coming as our champion. And we don't think in terms of champion, but he's rolling it in here to say that if you what a champion is is what we saw back with David and Goliath. Goliath was the Philistines champion of the day and they said if you can whoop our champion you win. And so just bring forth your own champion. And but what happens between these two individuals is this will settle it between our people. And Andrew is saying this is what Christ is coming. He's coming as the champion. And he is the one going to fight for us. And that, uh, you know, that's why there were many Jews in that day that were expecting the warrior Mm -hmm. to come. And uh, uh, they didn't expect some guy coming living in tents (laughs) (laughs) and and going out spreading the word. And so, anyway, that's a concept that I love, and it's why it made it into the summary of him as champion. And then... Because as he's champion, he's on the march, tenting along the way, ready for that great battle of Calvary and the grave and going all the way down to Tartus and all of that to come. In the midst of that, we see his glory. Did you have a quote on what's so special about his glory? He also came uh, full, full of grace and truth, both of which are needed. I'll say the words again, grace and truth both of which are needed by us to live in Christ and to live out Christ in our lives. Grace referring to the Son and truth to the Word. Grace to adopt us, truth to beget us anew. The, the truth and the love that leads, that, that leads to His glory to be revealed to us. Without either one of those, His glory would not have been revealed to us. We would have gotten... You know, the grace uh, with, with, uh, without the flesh, and you would not have seen his glory, though. Then uh, let me just finish. Um, the glory of itself terrifies and makes stand aloof. Grace invites, and its glory is such as is full of grace. But though there be grace, unless there is truth too, all is for nothing. His truth is, as it were, the flesh of his grace. <laughs> and uh, so uh, 
the, the glory, uh, it goes heavily into that, and you probably got some things on it. Well, yes. Yeah. Well, get into the grace and truth and being full of it. After we get out of the affidavit, yeah, he, the speak, affidavit. he speaks so weird in this sermon. I'm like, the affidavit I, of this. I've never seen an affidavit in this verse in my life. What are you talking about? So, a parenthetical statement, according to him. But So, the glory that he manifests, that glory that's only from the Father. Like, this is as the word of the Godhead, when he takes on not just the the voice, but the flesh of humanity, and begin to see him speaking, what they're talking about in this sermon is essentially the messianic profile. Like, what made Christ the Messiah was this glory. And he'll, he gives a bulleted point. With a word to say to the wind and storm, quiet, and to disease, I will it, be clean, and to death itself, I say rise. Time and time again, as the word enfleshed, you you see God speak. And the power and the transformation that's in that speaking word is it's going against stuff that we have lost our voice to because we have rejected the word. He does what man was always intended to do under him, and that is he speaks to nature. He speaks to sickness and disease, and he speaks to death itself. And you go, who is this? Is it the disciple today? Who is this man? He's speaking to the weather, and it <laughs> listens. Calms the seas. And so it's all of that. Every miracle is meant to show you this is the Father's intentions for his world and his humanity, and it's pushing back against all of these. And not just when he speaks. All the miracles and signs as well as the star at his birth and the eclipse at his death, the transfiguration, the ascension, and his enthronement, that is the kind of glory we are hearing John tell us that he beheld, along with James and John, which is important. Because as a good old Jew of the Old Testament, you're supposed to have two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. And these guys were on the mountain with him, seeing everything. It is more trustworthy than our evening news these days. There's actually eyewitnesses. These are not men sitting in front of a monitor giving commentary about what something else happened. So. And he showed. I mean, the, uh, the miracles shows his glory that he had. And, uh, and he also goes in uh, that John, he says, uh, writes nothing but what he saw and beheld and even his hands have handled the word of life. And he and his uh, other apostles suffered many things for the truth of their witness, and the whole world since hath believed their affidavit, (laughs) (laughs) their proclamation. (laughs) The, The affidavit, and if you print this sermon off, it might help, is... There's a parenthesis with the way he writes the verse, and it says, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. That is the affidavit. Um, the rest of that is outside, outside the affidavit is, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. That's just how he divides it. Right. Um, and it's helpful. It's, it's nice. So, pa- so past his being the eternal word, now being made flesh, manifesting glory, we see that 
he does this with that grace and the truth, the things that man are most in need of. And I love the fact that he's full of it. Oh, yeah. That, uh, and, you know, and he reemphasizes it, you know, that the truth is to make us new, to, to bring us back. And uh, so that, that glory, uh, when it stands alone, can terrify you. Uh, but that grace invites. And uh, so you merge well, the two together. Oh, yeah. It's, these two things are what... Many are the perfections whereof Jesus is full, um, two only here chosen out, the two streams of grace and truth. Uh, and, and the quote that you read is that it's grace to adopt us. I mean, it is to pick us up and elevate us into the family from our fallen estrangement. And then it's truth to transform and to beget and to sanctify. It's what... Well, sanctify us with your truth, as we will say in our liturgy, because that's what, you know, it's amazing. We live in such a dark day um, in our present times. You, you turn on the news, and it's not even news anymore. You're just like, just give me the facts, because if I had the facts, then I could, I could survive. I could make sense. But we're not given the facts and therefore, we don't know how to react, and we just fear. We feel traumatized. We feel fearful, just because we can't get to. Well, what's reality? Give me the real numbers. And on the spiritual side of sanctification and restoration to God, John say Jesus has the truth. You want to know what you were meant to be. You want to know what you were meant to be able to accomplish. Do you want to know how you are supposed to live? Here's the truth of it, and now you can see the facts. And. Um. You know, to, to lay it out before us uh, from the very basis of it about the Word becoming flesh and all, uh, that just shows the ground that we're standing upon. And he's talking about the affidavit of, of witnessing this, these things. Uh, uh, but he's just saying that we have a good, a strong, a true, and a real foundation. And uh, it's the merging of, of humanity with, the, with God. It's making us complete to where we're not just flesh, but we're flesh and word. And uh, so he, he, he really he lays out a really basis, a foundation for all of the grace and the truth and all to come to it. And uh, that's what I've always loved about Andrews is uh, he, he puts a real foundation to it. And, you know, even going back to Eve and all that. And uh, uh, so it, uh, it's it's... When you, when you look at it, you got to read it a few times, but when you sit back and reflect upon it, uh, you can see exactly what he's doing. And uh, he, he's building the case for everything that he's, his life was lived for. At, uh, yes, with uh, one of the things that's it's here, and I, and I get really frustrated with this balance of grace and truth, because if you, anyone who knows me, I probably get a little too heavy-headed in my pursuit for truth and the facts. Um, and then once I discover the facts, I want to be able to just, just tell you, here is reality. And then I want you just to accept them. The problem is, is the truth, despite how much I wish it worked, um, is too much for most people. Like, you can't... Yeah. Is it all for a certain gentleman? 
you can't okay. handle the truth. Yeah. Um, and there, there's truth to that. And this is where he says, it's as Christ, the fully God and fully man in one, comes full in grace and truth. Grace must be first. Yeah, he does. He does put that priority. That yeah, he says grace. we shall never endure the severity of his truth unless grace come before and a lot and make it happen. But when grace has brought us to him, truth will hold us to him. And he even goes, uh, I don't know if you remember in the, his catechism, uh, before you first, before you believe, you first have to acknowledge there's a God. I mean, that simple, that grace, uh, that yes, there is a God, whether you're worshiping the trees or whatever, uh, but you, before your faith can come, you've got to first acknowledge that there is a God. And I think so many of our people today uh, because of the, all the individualisms that we have, uh, that we we shun the thing that there's something greater than than we are, and he is simply telling us, folks, God is among you. Well, and I think it's that grace to say, God slowly pulls the veil back, light starts to come through, and that first message is, I am here. Um, yeah. And all that is that, and, and that I truly love you, and that I would do anything for your ultimate good. I've done. Like I, yeah, I've came to be part of your stinking flesh. <laughs> like and then I'm so, going to let you nail me to a tree. And, and so, and you have to that. see his goodness toward us as the mass ends every Sunday. Like right. this communion, this embodiment of God's grace has shown to us that God has goodness towards us. He's not giving us a list of things we got to do. It's already good. Right. Um, and it's like once that grace is there, then you can say, so when I actually tell you to do something, it's for your good. Right. Like, you know, when it's... It's not to, to pass a test or whatever. Uh, and, it, and here's the... The truth is God wants me to marry a woman. Right. That's truth. But some of my friends can't hear that. Right. They haven't actually discovered God's goodness towards them. And so there when, is no truth. So, well, and when they hear biblical truth, they haven't experienced the grace of the full incarnation of Christ, that so God is good, loves, and wants the best for them. So when they hear that, all they hear is, Can't. He hates me. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So what's the point? Like, yeah. it's like a... Um, and, and what he's trying to do is to guide us throughout our lives and... Lord knows there's times in our lives that we can't see the goodness that he's trying to drive us to. And uh, whether it's in the secular world at work or with friends or whatever. And, uh, but just to know that he's done all, his love is so great that he's done all this for us. And he's not going to do all this for us and then lead us astray. He's done all this for us so he could habitate, uh, habitate among us. Ah. Uh, he can set up his tabernacle. Here I am. Come on in if you want to talk. <laughs> yeah. And so by grace, we shall accomplish what truth requireth, Andrew says, at our hands. That so receiving grace and walking in truth, we may come to the third and reward of both, which is glory. So he's manifested this glory, and you begin to see what kind of glory he is going to manifest in us when we've received the full adoption of sons. And so that's also the 
Andrews has a way of working into every sermon, um, at least that I've come across, that, that quote from St. Athanasius that God became man so that you could come, become God. Like right. this type of, you, you have really fought. When we say man fell, we're saying he fell far. Um, like you're at the point that we're in. You cannot even grasp the magnitude of how much God is going to do in your life through Jesus Christ. And we can't do it on our own. And well, that's, through that's Jesus Christ. Like that's through the, Jesus Christ. Like this is what he's raising us. He's also got that, uh, speaking about his love, uh, he sees us daily in himself. He cannot look upon the flesh, but he must think upon us. He's flesh, it's in heaven. And God the Father cannot now hate the flesh, which the word is made, which is now taken into one person with the only Son, united to the deity itself. So, yeah, so well, with that, that moves us into his point on the benefit of Christ's incarnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first benefit, if you can call it that, is that God cannot hate us who are flesh, since the word has become flesh. flesh. That's loaded. That, that's heavy. <laughs> uh, like, I, yeah. when, when I first read that, I pulled out my phone and texted it to a, to a pastor friend of mine. Right. Uh, because we do. We live in an age... Um, where majority of people would think that John 3.16 says, For God so hated the world, he sent his son into it just to get a few of them out. (laughs) And and so that just takes that whole worldview off the... You know, there's so much in Scripture that God truly does love us and wants the best for us and would rather die than to go without us. And that is not a thing to make us prideful, but a thing just to humble us, to to say... Just say, who is this that loves me so? And that does take us where he would say, what are the benefits of what the word did for flesh? And that first benefit is that it takes off all misconceptions off the table about God hating us, wanting to... This angry God. Beat the you know junk out of us because we just gave him a bad name. And Andrews brings us into it. There's actually, I would say, it gets weird the way he speaks about, because he'll say this is the one benefit, but then he'll give us four hopes. Right. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things, it's like, well, hopes are kind of a benefit too. So I didn't know what to do with it. So when you, you see on the outline that we'll post with the podcast, you know, benefits and hopes. Yeah. Um, the way it does. All who are flesh may come to him who has become flesh as they are. Like This is a good God who wants to be with us. If you take Hebrews seriously, it talks about Christ looking forward to being in an assembly of his brothers and showing us off. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's the... Jesus truly does want a partnership with his imagers, men and women on earth. It's the only way to make sense of it. Yeah. When you ask and, about... And, why, not, and not just individually, like, but at, uh, which we've talked about. Before. Yeah, well, even, indi- even individually, but not like the way we misinterpret it today. Right. This is... You know, we're, we're, on the mornings, we're reading um, Brant Petrie's book on Mary, and right. you wonder, well, why would he elevate Mary right. to such a position? 
Because he wants to partner with us. Like, he just wants to have fun in making this world perfect. And he chooses to do it through his people. And so, I mean... Of whom he is joined. Even in Genesis, it says, well, why would you take Enoch? He just loves us. He wants Enoch to be raised up with him to help out in the ministry. He wants Elijah raised up into the heavens. He really does love us and desire to be with us. And he's full of it so that we can become full of it and he can raise us up. Up Together. uh, Basically, he wants to repair it again and raise it out of the dust that we've fallen into. Yes, we're... That, uh, you know, that, uh, but he does, he goes to the different hopes and, uh, you know, inheriting the kingdom of God uh, for the flesh and blood. Since sure it is that the Son of God is made the Son of Man, it is not incredible, but that the sons of men may be made sons of God. And this is an area that's gotten popular um, with, within especially younger evangelicals. It's always been there in the Eastern Orthodox. The Catholics are trying to catch up with the Eastern Orthodox with their publications on it. But this is the theme of theosis and our glorification. Mm-hmm. That we will be deified, made like Christ. And this is not... we. We preach today about being Christ-like, and I think we just think that we're going to smile at people and open doors for old women... And that's just Christ-like. And again, our imaginations need to be transformed to say, no, Christ-like means son of God. This means, this means you speak to creation, the storms. You speak to sickness. You, like what he did with the 72 that he sent out. Like, what? like you know, this is your, I mean, give you a glimpse of what you were meant to be. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm sort of surprised that he didn't, uh, uh, and I guess he does sort of thin with the, uh, when he gets into the communion, but it's, you know, he's there uh, to change our hearts, that uh, we can give our hearts their true meaning and uh, with the true word, uh, that we know what is right, we know what is wrong, and it's just not because we're looking at some manual saying, well, it says here to do that. Uh, but we've experienced him with him. We've talked to him. We've walked with him. We eat with him still today. And, uh, and he's talking to us, and, and he's wanting a, tran- a total transformation of the way that our flesh lived prior to receiving the Word. And it's a, so it's a transformation uh, that he's looking at for us. And as it, well. it, yeah, and it's a transformation we see in him at the resurrection. Yeah. I mean, that gets into his other hope. As he restored his own flesh through resurrection, so we do, so he'll do for our own. Um, when you see, and this was led, I forget the Orthodox priest who would say, uh, oh, it's on the cross when it says, you know, behold the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would say, like, this is when we're, we're finally getting to behold man in God's image. So at the, and so fully we see it at the resurrection, and that gets into C.S. Lewis, who would say at the resurrection we finally see what we're meant to be. Finally. Like, finally, there's a real human on the table. Um, <laughs> a like, complete human. Like, and, and so Andrew's just saying, look, here is our hope, and like, here's the benefit, and here is our hope. This is our promised guarantee that as he is, so we will be. 
resurrected um, on the other side of sin, death, misery, and made glorious. Because that's what he did for himself, and he promises to do for us. It's all the reason taking on flesh. And on top of that, I guess hope number three, since the word became like those of flesh, now those who are of flesh can begin the process of becoming like the word. Uh, let me read it because uh, we're getting ready to move into this. Uh, and the duty? And it's, uh, no, it, uh, uh, but the word that we hear, and we're getting ready to move it, I guess, to the sacraments. Yeah, yeah, well, that's the third of our duties. Right. And uh, the sacrament is the antitype of his flesh. What better way than where these are actually joined, actually to partake of them both? Not either alone, the word or the flesh, but the word and the flesh both. For they, for there, they are both. If it be grace and truth we respect, how may we better establish our hearts with grace, or settle our minds in the truth of his promise, than by partaking these, the conduit pipes, of his grace and seals of his truth and unto us grace and truth now proceeding not from the word alone but even from the flesh thereof united the fountain of the word flowing into the system of his flesh and from there and from thence deriving down to us this grace and truth to them who partake of him aright so he, he's shown all of this, and now he's going to give it to us. Yes, it's, we've moved through the mystery of the Incarnation by looking at his words, and he moves through what this means for us, that the Word did become flesh, giving us these benefits and these hopes. And he's moving us into, so what? What's it matter? What's it going to do? Um, if, if Jesus really is, as all the yard signs say at Christmas the reason for the season, season, then you best be about holiness, incarnating his instruction, and using the sacraments. But see, we don't think that. We will say it's the reason. Well, um, but that's where we stop. Yeah, no, that and, t- that and, talk is what they say. It's cheap. <laughs> yes. This is, Andrew says, no, here it is. Here's our duty as individuals who have benefited from the incarnation of Christ, the first thing is we pursue holiness, which, and I loved this, um, I really did, because while the Word became our flesh, He kept it orderly and subdued, allowing glory to be what was seen in His living. And so we should also. But He has this line about making sure we don't make the mistake of that first Christmas. See, when we hear the Christmas story, we look at that innkeeper and say, shame on you. Don't you know that Jesus was coming to dwell right. with you? Right. And you said, no, he can go stay in that pigsty. Right. Well, I guess they're Jews, not pigsty. That horse sty. And so, and he goes, well, so be careful. You don't become that innkeeper who says, well, you can just stay in this messy old life. Like, he wants to stay in your heart. Well, and it's your heart. Like, clean it up. Yeah. Like, this is the Messiah, creator of all things, visible and invisible. Like, you ought to just, your heart is the temple of a living God. 
clean it up as though it's the temple of the living God. Yeah, it's uh, going back to the purpose of the sermon. I mean, it's just to show that what he did for us, he did it out of love. He went through all of this for us, and we are to receive him not just with our lips, with uh, like you said, signs at the season and stuff, yeah. uh, but we are to truly accept him into our lives. Uh, to let him guide us, to let him lead us, uh, to uh, punish us when we need to be punished, and uh, but for us to, to be able to see his glory. So even when we're being punished, we have the hope of that glory. And uh, so he, he's tabernacled among us, he's living among us. He's living among us, living within us. Um, and he just says, act like you have. Jesus living in your heart. There was right. a, it's a corny old Christian song, but it had a very weighty comments. The, the lyrics were, my heart is not a junkyard. You know, it's holy ground. Like what? So by watching our TVs, and I am the most guilty of it, you give me a superhero movie, I am all there. But the point of the song was like, if you're watching imagers of Yahweh be slaughtered and killed and murdered in brutal ways, that is, it'll corrupt your heart and your ability to see. Like, so keep your heart pure so that God might fully dwell in you. Um, and I think this was, our, our deacon had posted on Facebook, Arthur, Arthur. boom, um, it's a call out to you, Arthur, about St. John of the Cross, like, you know, God doesn't yeah. occupy an occupied heart or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's a, um, well, we're to, we're to clean our hearts with this truth. And then we're to fill them with, 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 with his love. We cleanse it by grace and then yeah. with truth. So, I don't know. It'll, it'll break down, yeah. But then there's also, the second duty is to be an incarnation. Yeah, um, that was the point. Yeah, yeah as, as the word became flesh for us, if he is the reason for the season, even here in July, uh, so we ought to incarnate the stuff he actually spoke as the word. And this we do not in fleeting spits and spurts of faithfulness, but in an abiding faithfulness that remains in all seasons. He came to dwell and remain with, to stay with us. So we ought to have a spirituality that is remaining and staying in yeah. Him. You don't, you don't just have a couple good years and then you, you backslide and a couple good years. Like, no, it's a, this is a long faithfulness in the same direction. He's talking about, and so it's you pursue holiness, you become an incarnation of instructions. But of course, you can't do that on your own. Um, if you do, it's the wrong motives, and it doesn't pay off anyway. This is, and to do it, you use the sacraments, which is the quote you read for us. Mm-hmm. As, as the Son has now chosen to communicate Himself by both natures of Word and flesh, so we ought to receive Him in both. Word and sacrament together. Like this is, sure, we can preach all day long, and that's great. There will be spiritual truth and grace transmitted through the Word. Um, But he also manifests himself through sacrament. So who are we to say, oh, God, well, thank you, but no thank you for manifesting yourself through that sacrament. I don't need it. Yeah. And, Uh, And Andrews is just saying, be careful. You want both because he is both. If you really have come to love Jesus for everything he is and for what he has done, you will want to get him 
anywhere and everywhere he's available. And he has done that through both word and sacrament. And that's just where it takes place. That's uh, the truth. That's the full revelation of God. And I think this sort of goes into that. that uh, and so to receive that, that body, uh, the blood at the Holy Eucharist, uh, think about it when you receive it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, think about what's really happening there instead of just going down and following the line and going well, down. Yeah, that's within our tradition. It's yeah. it's even harder in some of the evangelical side of things. Where like, you, right. Where you, pass you know, your your expectation of the Spirit to work and transform you pretty much stopped at the gospel track. Like you know, it's, they truly have faith in Christ to save and transform when they're doing the gospel track. Right. And Andrews is saying, "There's a full life." Yeah. Well, well, and Andrew says, "Yes, check. God works that way." But he equally works right over here. So why aren't you just stoked about he, he it? Is here? Us these gifts. Yeah, like why it's not the use them? it's the same reality, yeah. and because it's the same God um, incarnate. And so he concludes his sermon after this um, in one paragraph. Praise the Lord! Um, <laughs> unlike the last sermon we did, which he concludes his sermon with three more pages. Just that, warmed up. Yeah, his his last his last paragraph becomes his his conclusion, where he says. But setting them aside, the day, that is, you know, Christmas Day, this day the Word became flesh. And he says, says, by celebrating the feast of Christmas, we're celebrating the union of Word and flesh. And by celebrating it, by putting ourselves into a position before, as Paul would say in Galatians, we're sowing to the Spirit. We're putting ourselves in a position for the Spirit to work within us. By celebrating this feast of Christmas and giving God the thanks for everything it means, we procure in our lives a dwelling for him in our lives, wherein he may fill us with grace and truth. It's the way humanity works. You you specifically put your life before God and say, God, I am here with the intention of giving you praise and thanks for who you are, what you have done, and if you're willing, um, give me the grace to live in light of it. If you don't celebrate Christmas, that then you're 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 intentionally taking off the table one more place where God could meet you and transform you. And that's the beauty yeah. of the calendar. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it takes each of these categories of the fullness of Christ. And makes us respond to it and make sure that when we show up to God, we are showing up to him as he is in light of what he's done for us to receive grace and truth to live in light of it. And to, to do that duty uh, lets us, by doing it, it leads us to the truth. It guides us to the hope of that glory. Yeah. And uh, uh, so we're, we're to use all that he's given us, our toolbox has so many tools in it, and uh, when you start throwing this tool out or that tool out, uh, it just makes it more difficult. Oh, it makes it way more difficult, because yeah. speaking from a person who has just bought a new tool set um, <laughs> that has all the tools where it's supposed to be, it is so nice working on the house. 
Um, compared you know to exactly where we're like, it's amazing. Years from now, you have no idea. It's like the fullness <laughs> when when the fullness of the toolbox is there. Boy, work is easy. Yeah. And Andrews just says the, when the fullness of faith is there, living is easy. It's yeah. it's almost abundant. Yeah. Um, and it's so here and uh, uh, that's why we we stress, uh, especially as we try to reopen uh, Christ Church here at St. Michael, uh, that all these things are in your toolbox, and you, you need to to use them and uh, uh, you know we do pray for all those uh, uh, just on a personal note that uh, uh, our elderly who are not able to to, to come to the, the toolbox uh, uh, you know we're available to bring it to you uh, all we have to do is call us and uh, uh, so these are very trying times but the fullness of God is revealed uh, not just at St. Michael's, but other churches as well. Yeah, and, uh, it is. Now, just to bring it back. And as a last call. As last a call. Last call and one more thing we did not cover. But because someone here has chosen the book on Mary in the mornings, uh, Andrews does hey, give us a comment yeah. on the Blessed Mother. And I am going to read right. this snippet. Uh, because it's very helpful. It's under the topic of fool, like not in being a fool, but being full of grace and truth. Um, Christ is full of them, grace and truth. And the word would not be passed. We find others full of grace as his blessed mother and as St. Stephen. Theirs reacheth not to us, None of them have more than serves for themselves. For the Spirit is given them, but by measure. But to Christ, it is given without measure. Fully. Like so. In other words, they ain't Jesus. They're not Jesus. <laughs> Jesus loves partnering with the Blessed Mother. He loves making her Queen of Heaven. He loves filling Stephen with his grace to die just like him. But just because they're full does not mean that we should go try to reach out to them to fill ourselves up. Like, they have nothing to give because they've been filled to the fullness for themselves. Christ is full of grace and truth for us, and he's done so without measure, so that when the woman comes to touch the hem of his garment and he fills some of it passed Who through him. Me? Who touched me? <laughs> he's not depleted at all. He's got without measure. It can, he can let it flow out all day long. He just wants to know who has come to fill up on grace and truth from him. I'd love to have been one of the apostles right there. What do you mean? There's a thousand people right here. Yes. <laughs> so when it comes, we don't have to. And, and this comes from Bishop Chad. I, 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 love, he's, I love his verse about that. You know, the scripture tells us, fear not, Mary. Um, when the angel talks to Mary. And he's right. like, for our sakes in the church, we really should just erase that comma and just say, fear not Mary. Like, there's nothing to be afraid of. Right. Like, this is just Jesus showing off. Right. And it's manifesting his glory. Like, only the Father would be so generous and kind and giving. Um, and so, nonetheless, that's the last call. Mary is not to be feared. But she's also not to be adored anywhere close to where Jesus is. With that being our last call, should we have a last call for grace? 
Yes, the Lord be with you. And with thy spirit. Dear Lord, we give you thanks uh, for allowing us this time and the technology now to reach out to others. Uh, we really uh, ask that you plant in our hearts the real meaning of, 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 of uh, Christ coming to, to dwell among us, to lead us, and to show us, and to unite us with the, the deity itself. And uh, we pray uh, that you will lead us in our lives, that uh, we speak not only the words, uh, but uh, give us the, the, the power to live the life, uh, which is not always easy to live in this world. Guide us and lead us and bring us to thy glory. In thy name we pray. Amen. Amen.